The show that somehow lasted longer than Nate Nanzer's tenure with the Overwatch League. This is the E-League Report, the best damn esports show, period. I'm Brian, he's seven, and we're broadcasting live from where it all began, a closet somewhere in the E-League studios. Uh, shots fired to Nate Nanzer, but uh, it is it is the truth, in all honesty. Gotta have that parting shot. Yeah. The parting shot. On this episode... FaZe Clan is back in the news, and it's for the wrong reasons. Dignitas decides to buck the Twitch trend, Super Evil Megacorp has lost their way, and Nate says goodbye to Overwatch League. But first, esports orgs continue to look more and more like tech startups every single day. So Evil Geniuses has been acquired by the investment group Peak6. This means one of esports' longest-standing organizations is now owned by a company that has zero experience in competitive video gaming. When esports orgs are out to lure investors, EG was just flat out bought. Is this a smart move by them? Because this is like one of the first acquisitions of an organization we have seen. Yeah, I mean, this is something that, uh, I mean, Dignus Haas, I guess, was technically also owned by at least a sports company, but this is really just an investment group. Um, I think Dignitas is not bought by two sporting uh, sports companies. Just passing them uh, around. Yeah, and just passing them around. But I don't. This feels like more of a we just sold because the iron was hot. Like esports is hot right now. We're just going to get out from underneath it. Even though, uh, I mean, the I believe the CEO or CEO will still stay on. Um, still run the company. Yes, who was uh, also not the original CEO either. Correct. He only correct. joined back in 2017. Right. Uh, so staff will continue to do the things that they normally do. Uh, however. Uh, Again, Peak Six, just mostly an investment group that has done some stuff with like sports advertising uh, and as well as some like technology advertising, but has hey, not really and jumped pop into sockets. It. There you go. Yeah, yeah. But they haven't done anything from they, they've never run an esports org. So pop sockets esports feels the same to me. Yeah, definitely, definitely synonymous in every way. They're both think. ridiculous trends. Yeah, I just I don't know if this is uh, this fair as well. I, this might be like the. Uh, uh, look what happened with Dignitas, right? Dignitas was everywhere and then was purchased by the 76ers, right? Yep. And then yep. kind we of basically just... did nothing with them. Right, right, right. And then, I mean, their only real, I guess, they, they lost their, their Counter Strike team. Once that went, they basically, then they had their, I mean, they're probably the team that was one of the most successful was their Here's the Storm team, right? Yep. Uh, we know where that went. And that went bye bye. And now they're just a brand that, um, well, it's not doing much, really. Just getting passed around. Evil Geniuses is especially weird because while it is a name that is synonymous, especially with the early days of esports and competitive gaming, as of today, not a very big force, generally speaking, across really any games. No, I mean, they're still there from, like, uh, like I believe, like, Call of Duty. Uh, they're, in, they're in some, like, the, the first-person series. So they're still decent, like, Call of Duty. They still have some, um, I believe, like, Dota chops as well. So, I mean, they're there. They're, they're still very much, like, I mean, they're not, like, the, the where they were years ago. But they're, but they're not a Cloud9, a TSM, right, a right. Liquid. Even. This makes me wonder if they are getting into, like, Call of Duty World League or looking to go that route. And that's one of the reasons why they're getting this investment Maybe. Uh, or getting telling, purchased. But that'll be telling in general because we assume that all the Call of Duty World League spots will get taken by Overwatch League organizations. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we will see, I guess. 
I mean, that's how it works, right? Right. I mean, that's what a yeah. president always says. <laughs> Just a way to get out of anything you don't know anything about. Uh, speaking of Dignitas, Dignitas have signed an exclusive content deal with streaming platform Caffeine. Uh, so we're talking potentially going back to the content war days. It's just fitting because YouTube Gaming's uh, official app is shutting down uh, at the end of this month. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, see? And now Caffeine TV, which I... Still in early access. I only even know this exists because, like, Jeff Kanata has been streaming on this right. for a while to, uh, we'll call it mixed results. Like, what are your thoughts here? Uh, so, I know a little bit about some of the people who are actually organizing some of the content deals in the background. Um, I don't think Caffeine has the numbers and or the community to really further any kind of esports. Again, this is... Dignitas uh, probably been better served going to, in all honesty, Facebook, <laughs> which still shows you from like a numbers standpoint, like yep. probably where caffeine sits. Well, not caffeine, to mention that, like, I don't even know how you get access to caffeine. Well, caffeine is just basically mobile, so uh, that's largely where their viewership is. But they've chosen to do a couple of things, like not showing the numbers of people streaming and putting you in like different groups. So you're not like in a chat with like everybody. Uh, but again, it's a lot of the same content creators. Uh, just to put it out there, like Alex Albrecht is the person who heads up content. Uh, so hence you, yeah. So hence you see things like Jeff Kanata and that old uh, old guard of people. I guess you could say at this point in time, because yeah, they back when we were creating content, uh, started creating content. They were the thing. Yeah, they've mostly um, uh, kind of gone by the wayside, so to speak. But I, I wouldn't say gone by the wayside, oh, but no, they just definitely aren't just like the. The at, at the pinnacle where they were back in the day, right? So um, they definitely set the tone for a lot of like content creators. But I think it's uh, that's why you're seeing a lot of those things there. But again, Dignitas going over to Caffeine. Caffeine's made some other buys into, uh, I believe, it was like the I want to say it's like NHL or something random. Like they've they've made a few buys into yeah, things that NHL esports. But uh, yeah, but it's not been anything huge and impactful in the industry. And I don't see this as being anything more than that like if, if anything content it, deals couldn't save youtube gaming they're certainly not going to draw tons and tons of eyeballs to caffeine especially a lot like we've talked about with mixer right is this being slightly better on the technology side or being differentiated by a few easily uh recreatable features is not enough to take over twitch and same thing with the content deal like youtube threw a ton of money at people basically right. making up the gap between view what they would have made with viewers on twitch versus yep. viewers on youtube that still was not enough to do it well it wasn't enough to do but what it actually did was force twitch to renegotiate with those streamers and pay more so it did have an effect on twitch <laughs> but not, not from the viewership yeah not necessarily one they were doing but it again is still a business tactic but it didn't work out for them in, in the end uh it hasn't worked out for facebook it hasn't worked out for anybody to try and initially draw people over i mean i, I would say mixer's been one of the groups that hasn't gone down that route knowing that it just wouldn't right. uh play out and it's better to invest your money in the actual community and streamers than right. it is to and create your own walk in people exactly uh and i think that's fared better than and caffeine is also creating their own content but i i just i don't i don't think these exclusive deals for streaming makes sense for anybody and the people who are taking it uh, are taking it because they know that they're not going to make the money on Twitch is really what it boils down to. Well, like, yeah, Dignitas is not up there in the teams that you're like, man, I'm chomping at the bit to see all their players uh, stream. They just don't have big, big, big names, right? This isn't like a Dr. Disrespect or a Tifu or whoever going over. And even the the individual streamers they've signed have not been like massively household names. They're They're decently popular, but 
think of the number of popular people in varying games that are on Twitch at any given time, and stealing four or five of those is not going to be enough to make a platform. No, it's not. It's not at all. And as we've talked about, streaming video in general, incredibly expensive from an infrastructure standpoint. Twitch yeah. sitting on top of the Amazon-owned gold mine and Amazon-owned uh, infrastructure. Yeah. So they can just kind of hum away. Um, and I think to the point about Mixer, I will say this. I don't know that Mixer exists today if it's not a Microsoft project. Because there is probably a lot of costs that go into running Mixer. I don't believe that business is profitable even for a second. Oh well, I I don't know really anything about their business at all. But uh, I mean, I think it's it's difficult, and they have definitely the better numbers than a lot of the other areas. YouTube makes up for it a lot with just the actual standalone content, um, and I know that their numbers have been getting better. But I don't think it's. I mean, it's still not making a huge dent in terms of like Twitch numbers, but also. As we'll talk about probably later in the show, like those switch numbers can also be severely inflated too. Smoke and mirrors. That's right. We're gonna talk some phase clan now. So we got back to back stories where it's just like phase clan can't catch a break and it feels like at this point this is going to end catastrophically for phase clan. I don't think that catching a break is really what they're like <laughs> I, I don't even I don't even wish for them to catch a break. They're just they're just running headlong into the void, I think. At That's this right. Point. Yeah. Uh, so the first story comes from this Tifu drama. Uh, it has been uh, revealed in court paperwork that a player uh, under the age of 13 has been signed and has been streaming and participating in the Fortnite World Cup Correct. on behalf of FaZe Clan. So for those that are not aware, both the terms of service for Twitch as well as the terms of service or rules set or whatever you want to call it for the Fortnite World Cup require a player to be at least 13 years of age, even if they have a sign-off from a parent. And it right. has been exposed by Tifu that this... One in particular player, uh, it was actually tw- 11 and currently 12, um, and not a good look for FaZe Clan right now. No, not at all. And uh, this could be one of those really uh, – I mean, the, the contract with Tifu drama is one thing, right? That's a little bit of like a, a nebulous gray area, like, is this an oppressive contract? Yes or no? Answer is yes, but is it still illegal? Probably yes, still, but there is a probably in the, some of those statements. There, it's yeah. a little bit of a gray area. It's not a gray area when you uh, are going out and saying this person is thirteen. They're representing us. Or actually, I think they may even at some point in time said he was fifteen. I've heard uh, it kind of bounced around from number. The numbers have kind of bounced all over when he was actually eleven that was signed. Uh, I think even like Kevin Hit found actual numbers somewhere that showing that he was like uh, it was on his fifth birthday or sixth birthday. His mother wishing him, his like... fifth birthday yeah. on Twitter. Like, welcome to the yeah. world of social media. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, it's... Doesn't and that it also make you feel old? Someone playing Fortnite competitively has their fifth birthday celebrated on Twitter. <laughs> this is also, yeah, true. Uh, but it's one of the things where, like, you can't deny that. And I think after, uh, you know, you put the numbers together, and I think, like, 12... Or 11 was guess, but it's actually 12 is what it came out to. Uh, but still, like, that's just... It's, it's absurd, like it's that they're ridiculous. trying to make money off of this this person, uh, and they have made money off of it. In all yep. honesty, uh, this is things don't bode well for them, especially in that arena when it comes to uh, the legalities of it. Well, and it's interesting because this is very similar to what we used to, maybe still do, see to this day in baseball. A lot of foreign-born players who want to get a leg up in like the draft and in recruiting will claim to be younger than they are, so they can compete at a higher right. level. So they'll be eighteen, claim they're fourteen, but be like six foot tall and have a six pack playing baseball and just being really, really damn good. And soccer is really that bad will, for that too. Yeah, yeah, soccer has this problem as well. 
And so this is along those lines. Now, the legality of it is going to be interesting because there's one thing about it not matching the EULAs. Like, they can take his streams down, which effectively makes him useless to uh, phase if he can't either compete or stream. But the open question will be, like, what are the pure legal ramifications of this? Like, can FaZe get in trouble? There's obviously a potential fraud in the contract itself. Like, how are they pressuring the mother? Because the mother had to sign off in order for him to be legally entered into this contract. There's so much stuff at play here. And this is not what <laughs> they probably wanted to be talking about when they already had all the shade thrown their way by Tifu. Then it gets even worse because now they're also embroiled in a potential scam with the Rainbow Six Pro League in which they were uh, throwing games with a team um, from Brazil. And now they've got this on top of everything else to deal with. Yeah, so the whole thing going on with Rainbow Six was a, a the former analyst for Black Dragons came forward with a, a couple of pieces of information showing that... Um, FaZe and Black Dragons had uh, organized some match fixings. Uh, so it was basically that uh, FaZe needed a win to continue on in the uh, Rainbow Six Pro League. And so they could actually make it into the the, the next round or next levels. Yep. Uh, and Black Dragons was safe. They weren't even close to being relegated, so it was okay. But they, a win for them me- meant nothing. However, when you flip over to the Brazil Major... Uh, it was the opposite, right? Like FaZe was sitting comfortable in the middle and they needed the win to actually continue on. So they basically just said, I'll give you this win, you give us that win. And so what happened is, is there uh, during, I think it was the Rainbow Six Pro League, uh, Black Dragons mysteriously had like four players randomly disconnect at different times. Uh, all these different things. Yanked yeah. the cable out of the PC. <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, is that, uh, so the analyst, uh, Thai or Ty, whatever you want to call it. Just call him uh, THYY. THYY. Uh, he claimed that, again, uh, Ion from Phase and GDN, basically, is what he refers to him as short uh, for Black Dragons. The two of them came to terms over, over all of this. And so those were the two orchestrators of the throw, uh, throws, plural. And this happened, I think, back in like April and May or somewhere around there. Yep. So it's already happened. These like these games have, are well past. So the results have already kind of moved forward. But he's claimed that he sent this information over to Ubisoft. Uh, they have it in their possessions. Now, originally, Black Dragons came out and said, oh, no, GDN didn't do any of this. Uh, THYY or Thai is still just upset because, uh, you know, he left the team and he's like a former player. He's trying to get back at GDN. And then, but, uh, so once all these like, once all the proof came out and like the twit longer in the video, the video actually, uh, yeah, they went audio release. As well. Yeah. The audio, like uh, the analyst just was like, rock this one. And I could tell from the beginning, um, I guess he was like in the hospital or something random, like, and this happened when he was away and he came back. And so he started looking into a lot of these different things. Uh, and was just like, Hey guys, I, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't want to be a part of it. We shouldn't be doing it. And they were just basically saying too bad. Should have been here. <laughs> Whatever it may be. So, uh, uh, long story short, uh, Black Dragons, who claimed to be innocent and that GDN was innocent, uh, fined him and kicked him off the team pending investigation, uh, which that, doesn't that, sound that doesn't, that's not like how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, this is this is totally a farce. But we're going to find him and then kick him you, from you the team. You, how do you temporarily find somebody? Like, give us a yeah, hundred thousand right? dollars, but we'll give it back if everything's okay. 
I mean, if they said, okay, we're going to throw him, we're going to bench him until we figure yeah, this out. Yeah, he's suspended, I suspended, believe, suspended the term that they are looking yeah, for. Yeah, that's fine. But when you say, oh, we find him, like, what did you find him for? Like, that's there. there's issues here. Uh, nothing, I don't think, has come from FaZe Clan on all this. Ironically, they probably have too many other PR. They're like, sorry, that's so far down the priority list of fires right now, we're not going to do Yeah, that's it. just like, basically, we're out of toilet paper version of a fire com- yep, for, yep. for FaZe Clan right now. But, yeah, it's... Uh, it's not looking good at all on phase. Like I think this is this has got to be the final year phase. But that's year. okay because maybe some crazy dude who yells really loudly on YouTube videos, drives around in a fast car with a child seat in the back, will buy them up. <laughs> so either the current or former owners of denial will will join forces with phase. I mean, so. how better to make a shitty organization than to combine two shitty organizations into one? Yep, there you go. This might as well wrangle all all the annoying bad people in esports. It's not a bad thing. Put them on an island somewhere. They could all just throw games all day long. It'd be the best (laughs) tournament that has ever been created. So we've come full circle in a lot of ways on this show, and uh, it's very fitting we're going to talk about Super Evil Megacorp today, because we had talked about them on our very first episode. They were one of the first companies that we worked with that we got into this gig over three years ago, Um, and they are pivoting once again. Uh, Dropping plans continue efforts at Vainglory Esports as the developer looks to focus on improving the overall quality of the game. So... There's so a lot to unpack here. One is how, I don't say the mighty have fallen, but it felt like Vainglory three years ago had carved out an incredible niche for itself. It was this mobile MOBA built completely on their own engine that was bucking all the trends. It's mobile, it's 3v3 right. instead of 5v5. They get into esports. They were ramping up. They started to have big organizations buy up teams within their league. And then they decided to do this 5v5 thing. And then they decided not just mobile, but now it's a desktop game. Then they pulled out of esports temporarily. Now they're essentially pulling out of esports completely. What the hell is going on? Yeah, so it boils down to, and, and the way you mentioned it, it actually happened and in, in they moved to the 5v5. So their move from 3v3 to 5v5 wasn't well received at all. And so imagine that and doing that, uh, they spent a ton of resources and had a huge, they fractured their audience, had a huge dip in a lot of things. And they decided to basically take a year off from esports, which is weird, which is weird and uh, unexpected being that they had like cloud nine, TSM, Tempo Storm, G2, all these groups were bought in and had teams and they were running a league. They financially invested. They built a studio for broadcasting esports in their development studio in San Mateo. Yeah. yeah. So they were well invested in it and just kind of went dark. And it was like four months of them not talking about esports at all. And then finally came and said, yeah, we're just not going to do esports this year. We want to focus on bringing it to desktop. Like, okay. So then they now have done that transition. I think they started up, they wanted to start up uh, esports again. I'm occasionally on their Reddit. Uh, and it's just a lot of people, it's it's much like the Paladins Reddit. A lot of people just like harping on the game. Like bugs uh, everywhere. Yeah. But uh, essentially what has happened now is that uh, they've decided to play a supportive role. So they're not going to organize a league, not going to like create tournaments or, uh, and and such. They're going to support people who want to and still allow them to use the infrastructure that's there, but they're not going to basically have an esports staff 
who are maintaining like points and a league and and, yep. and running tournaments. And remember, this whole thing was on the back of. So we used to actually make fun of them quite a bit uh, in the early days because you couldn't go in within like a hundred yards of their studio without somebody coming out and preaching how mobile was the console of this generation and they could build this giant game right. and this giant ecosystem on the back of that. And then it became about making a truly awesome cross-platform experience, trying to convince us that it would feel exactly the same on the phone as it would on the desktop, which you and I predicted at the time, and I think rightfully so, was that that just means it's going to be a lesser desktop experience. Because you're, if you want it to truly be cross-platform and give no advantage to any platform, you've got to bring it down to the lowest common denominator. Right. And you end up with those like marzipan apps that we have on Mac right now. It's like the same kind of thing where it's just like super dumbed down because it has to work and function exactly like it does on mobile or a less capable device. The esports thing was so core to the company early on. Like they would talk a lot about how they built the game to be an esport first and a mobile mm-hmm. esport first. And they had all this functionality built in the game to make it easy to broadcast. They had this whole separate client that they ran and they did all they had this- their exclusive deal with Twitch for like two million. They or were one like of that? the first esports to sign an exclusive yeah. deal with Twitch. They were working with Amazon. They were one of the first to partner with Amazon um, as part of like the mobile mass series and actually held one of their events out in seattle and there was a lot of great things going on so this is not just about vainglory as a game but this is about one of what i consider to be like it's the og mobile esport by hands down but also like one of the first companies to really throw that kind of weight behind an esport outside of blizzard and riot yeah there was a point in time i think when they started moving towards the 5v5 that they were looking to do more uh, with their engine and their tech than they were with the game. Like they've, yep. they've made a couple of interesting pivots, right? Like again, moving to 5v5, uh, being like, well, look at what we can do this cross platform stuff. We want to sell our engine. They basically were going down the route of like, we want to be like a unity for, uh, basically mobile games in terms yep. of from like an esports standpoint. Like, so they've made a couple of pivots and maybe they are making money on the back end with their technology. I don't necessarily know. They don't, publicly discuss it from what i've seen so that could be what's keeping them afloat i know their their deal with twitch uh wasn't renewed they continue yep. to go uh forward um and that's kind of where they just let esports kind of dip out and just yeah. call it there and, and that's it's an interesting point because this is a venture-backed studio this is right. not we hit we make games where a you know a studio that is owned by a publisher and that's what keeps us afloat they raised in fact the last time they've raised it's been almost two years back in 2017 they raised 19 million dollars um and it's largely on the back of this fact that they have this custom engine right this is not right. a unity game to your point the value they're trying to sell they used to talk very early days about how the engine was serving the game. There wasn't this conversation about the game serving the engine, which is what it changed to later. The move to desktop very much felt like not because they truly believed that Vainglory needed desktop to be successful, but that their engine needed to be able to be a one-size-fits-all game engine right. that would allow you to make a true cross-platform experience. And to be clear... I don't know that's necessarily a bad play. Like if you're really if you're a venture back company and you're trying to say we're doing something truly unique, it would want to be the few, if only, engine that truly could create a cross platform experience um, for both mobile and desktop and maybe even consoles at some point. Um, but that being said, it's uh, it's hurt the game. It's hurt esports. It's hurt their esports efforts for sure. And it's almost it's kind of a sad whimper at the end for me because uh, Vainglory uh, was. Awesome game, loved it. 
Yeah. Um, Super Evil was amazing to us at the beginning. That's about how they personally treat us. But like they truly were bought into esports when it was still the wild, wild west when you and I were getting flown all over the bloody world because they just wanted somebody to talk about it. And they were one of the first ones to like really like invite the media in and hold events and really care about how we covered it. And so to see it just kind of is is, is a little disappointing. It is. It is. I think that uh, I'm. I I hope that their pivot will make sense as time for them that they'll be able to uh, make the game better, make it more uh, profitable and then go back into esports. I think they did some, they were making some interesting calls. They started having like the North America versus EU. They had some great plays and it was exciting to watch. Uh, they weren't going like well overboard in terms of like from a production standpoint, they were still staying pretty small. Yep. Um, I just, I think it was there. Uh, and again, their esports picked up because it was originally a grassroots scene. Yep. And these groups like uh, Cloud9 and TSM, which were some of the first ones to buy in, bought teams that were like the number one and number two teams. Uh, and I think maybe it was SK Gaming. I mean, you know, it was TSM. Uh, they just, again, it was basically they repurposed grassroots teams, bought yep. them, slapped their, their, their uh, organization and their branding on them. And it still continued to be like this big fight. And there was there was definitely some backlash from a community standpoint, like not wanting to sell out. But at the same time, it was also really exciting for them because there was also teams in this league that had uh, that were grassroots teams. And they were getting to, like the notoriety because they were playing against like Cloud9 or and TSM and winning. Yep. And so – And this is when I would – you know, we would talk about the impact of this. At one point, Vainglory had more top-tier esports brands participating in it than Heroes of the Storm ever did. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a pick on that game. But, like, think about it. This is a Blizzard title with millions and millions of dollars in a worldwide esports scene that they're solely funding. And then you have this grassroots esports effort from a, like, 50-person studio off the railroad in San Mateo, yeah. California. And they turn around. They've got TSM and Cloud9 and TempoStorm involved and excited to be involved. Yeah. And I think when Fnatic opened their London office, they... Uh, did it during the time of like this uh, mid-season kind of like Europe versus NA event that yep, was happening yep. in London. So Fnatic kind of like used that event to kind of showcase like we're opening our own like office and store in London. And it was just and they had their team playing there. It was just it was cool. They had good yep. stuff. Uh, but yeah, just kind of sad to see that they're taking a back seat. I hope that the grassroots scene will grow and and further. Like as long as they're providing support, that's good. But yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I'd love to see it back again. This episode seems to be all about things coming to an end because another thing that came to end this week, incredibly unexpectedly, was Nate Nanger. Nate Nanger. Apparently, my ability to talk is another thing ending on this episode. <laughs> Nate Nanzer has stepped down as the Overwatch League commissioner and is leaving Blizzard completely to oversee competitive esports at Epic, uh, obviously for Fortnite. Uh, first well, off, well, Rocket League. Uh, potentially too, yeah. I mean, they have that. They bought the Rocket League very recently. Rocket League has a big esports scene, so that could also be. I mean, he's doing it for Epic Games. It wasn't specifically talking about Fortnite, but um, there's a lot to unpack here. Let's start with what, depending on how much credit you give him for the state of Overwatch League currently, like how big of a hit is this to Overwatch League's future? I think it's pretty big. But if you are Nate Nanzer uh, and you are given the option to stay with a company that is laid off. Probably three quarters of its esports staff, uh, <laughs> or go to the company which is buying other companies and dropping and printing money, printing money, and uh, yeah, I think it's kind of a no brainer. So it's a no brainer move. I, I hold nothing against the man for for jumping ship and doing it. He's 
suffered through in all honesty two years of Overwatch League. He went through all the growing pains of that. Now he's getting go to go to uh, Fortnite, and maybe we'll see blog posts longer than like three sentences. That'll be great. Uh, but I, I think it's it's a great move for him. It is a a rather large loss for Overwatch League. Yep. This also tells me that I, I know we were talking about doing the, some of the predictions things at the end of the show here. Where we, our predictions for like the next two Are you years. Ahead? I'm not really jumping ahead, but one of the things I did want to say is like I have this feeling that like Overwatch is going to skip a year of expansion. This might be the year that they actually skip it because he was one of the ones that was doing a lot of the like going around trying to convince people like here's what the league is and and he was very much at the forefront of like trying to onboard some of these investors and teams in it and not like obviously bobby was out there doing his activision blizzard thing stick. yeah yeah so i again trying to close all these deals himself but nate nanzer was very much an advocate for it and you saw him at like uh when paris uh when their team launched like he was actually at their event yeah. and, was, and was kind of promoting it so he's very much been like the face of overwatch league in a lot of ways and so his loss is obviously rather huge. I don't know what this means for Overwatch. My assumption is, is again, not an expansion year. Uh, Remember, this is also May coming Flounder. up on the year we're supposed to see true home and away games as well, right. which he has talked very openly about the challenges of trying to plan that out. You and I have been incredibly skeptical of their ability to pull that off or even why they would want to try to pull that off. Yeah. It, so and that's part of the part of the issue, too, is like he just got stripped of so many of like of his his crew, right? So, I mean, th- there is a noticeable difference in quality from the Overwatch League this year uh, in terms of like, like production production quality. quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I think it, it's it's not faring well. Maybe he was too much of a paycheck, and they'll bring someone else in, or maybe they don't replace him. I don't know. So he's been replaced, technically speaking, so by somebody else already in the esports organization that they had signed a couple years ago from Fox Sports oh, that's to right, come yeah. over and has taken their place. Um, I, can we make it? Can, can Malik just be in the commissioner? Can I mean, just... I think that would be awesome. It could be like wrestling, where Malik's like the kayfabe uh, commissioner <laughs> of things. He just comes out in a suit, and makes ridiculous decisions, but it's all written Let's by do writers. It. Uh, yeah, that would be do awesome. It um, it'd also only take place on like the eight-inch touchscreen in a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there's some kind of weird stretch here. I don't know about just no. Yet. It's not a stretch, don't you know? Oh, Malik, that's right. Yeah, Malik yeah. Does the Toyota, Toyota ride along? That's right. That's right. That's I'm right. Pretty yeah, sure yeah. he's just stuck in that car all day. It could be. Um, I also would bet that Epic paid a crap ton of money to pull him away from Blizzard as well. Because as much as they've invested in Fortnite esports, there's giant air quotes right now around right. the esports part of that. Now, bringing the RLCS into the fold, where else other than Riot could somebody like Nate Nanzer go and have the level of impact and influence on the industry as he was having at Blizzard? It maybe yeah. is Epic. But I bet you they paid a pretty penny for the right to have him take a crack at it. Yeah, no, and I think it's he's the person to to do it. I think weathering the PR hell that was the Overwatch uh, year of it's coming soon TM. Like they oh. basically made that BlizzCon sound like in in January we would see the league, and it was the January after, right? Like it was. Yep. It took them well into a year to actually make any kind of headway, any kind of actual announcements. Uh, and so he had to, to handle quite a bit in that, that inaugural season. And and second season, I would say, has gone better. Um, but there's, again, there's less hype to live up to. Yeah, you, but you're also, you're suffering a stale meta that doesn't seem to want to change. Um, they have got, they've been far more lucky 
with the franchise teams than any of us expected them to be. It did not right. drop the quality of the play as much as we expected it to, but it also ballooned the bills of the organization. And, you know, uh, what we didn't really talk about was this home and away thing was already a monumental undertaking at the size they were after season one. Now that after size in season two, it got even more complicated. And, you know, maybe it's also a chance. Uh, this is pure conjecture. But there's also an element of this that he saw the writing on the wall outside of just the layoffs, but also just seeing, wow, we're way too ambitious here. We have promised way too much of what this is going to happen and believes that that because I can see someone looking at that and going, this could single handedly ruin what we're trying to build here. Like it's too much, too far, too fast with no real benefit from it other than just to say that we did it. And uh, maybe it's time to uh, go the other direction. And I and I in all honesty, I think if Overwatch League said we're not going to do the home turf thing. Uh, I I don't think the backlash is going to be as huge as what people think it is. I think people would I think want the, it. I think the backlash will be from the people who've built arenas expecting it. Yeah, there is. That. Uh, so I, it almost has to be like they will host. Like it'll end up they being like a dream hack the, or like a mobile the, tournament. Right. They, or they do. What they do in these later stages where they just rotate around the country and they play a week's worth of games in a city and you go and you watch it. And I know that's not the same thing as having an event that people show up to every week to watch games. But I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I don't think there was going to be uh, much money to be made on that side of the equation. Yeah, that was going to be a loser for a very long. It's like time. a fifty million dollar arena too, though, for uh, like the fusion and everything. The esports arena that's going on in Philly, I think it's like fifty million or something ridiculous. It may be thirty, but that's still, it's a lot of money. Absolutely, absolutely Comcast absurd. money, man. Um, so, last but certainly not least, I'm going to say something that I say very rarely on the show. I read an amazing piece of esports journalism. <laughs> sorry Zing. sorry uh so kotaku had this amazing piece called shady numbers and bad business inside the esports bubble where they discuss a combination of factors that has led to the supposed crazy growth of esports but could ultimately lead to its downfall so this is a common topic for us on this show indirectly we're always talking about like nuzu been a favorite punching bag of ours with their bullshitty numbers and there's a lot yeah. of details and stuff in this article about nuzu um that will be unsurprising to anybody with half a brain but more importantly the talks of sponsorship money and how out of whack it seems compared to what are probably the real numbers uh, in a lot of ways uh the numbers of esports viewers are comparable to where podcasting is at this point. This is kind of ironic for me to say, but like very hard to measure, very easy to inflate. Uh, you're overselling your audience. And so there's all this discussion in here. Like, what were some of your favorite points in this article? Because this is a massive article. I know most people are not used to these long form articles anymore, but there was a ton to dig into here. Yeah, there was. I think one of the points that I found interesting is around the Twitch numbers, like the inflated Twitch numbers. Uh, and how basically Twitch owned Curse, and Curse was basically selling views by posting it onto like you know any other Curse sites. It could be you could buy an embedded viewer, um, embedded player on the like the bottom of all their pages yep. that would count as an actual viewer towards your event and so people like twitch was essentially inflating its own numbers by selling its own service to inflate numbers yep 
Interesting. Which is something that we've seen like content viewers or content creators try to do to boost Twitch numbers is like you have a popular website, you put your Twitch stream on the website, right. it's auto-playing, and it makes you look like you have more viewers, or it gets you more viewers, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that it was all happening internally within Twitch-owned properties is a little bit different. Yeah, and back in the day, they, it's it's funny, too, because uh, when I actually got partnered on Twitch was largely around the fact that I ran a popular gaming site, and during like a press press uh, weekend or a beta weekend uh, i was able to embed the player and and be one of the top streamers for that game during its like while it was being made it was very tough to get like viewers for it uh, and so i hit that threshold pretty easily even though i had like very minimal actual like followers or whatever it may be right. and some would argue that it was far harder to get partner uh, partnered back then than it is today well i would say it's probably well the bar was for much true, lower back then yeah but also true partner not the yeah. bullshit levels yeah yeah so it was kind of interesting uh gets a that yeah that uh, again but the fact that they, they still continue to allow that model to exist is rather interesting but the the part that seemed shady to me was that they were doing it they were basically selling their own uh, numbers inflation service uh, via via curse and the numbers were something along the lines of like ten to fifteen thousand dollars per hour that it was up yep and so you would see uh, like for instance the magic the gathering tournament jumped from like say twenty thirty thousand to eighty eight thousand in like just a quick minute because of all the different track because yeah you know, they get a ton of traffic on all the curse sites yep, yep i think maybe not so much anymore well not as Rip much as they phone. used to but so it, it's the other thing that's very telling and we've talked about this when we've talked about the money that these organizations have raised the valuations they're getting right. relative to their revenue is mind-boggling we talked about that yeah and that's so i you know we, we as we've talked about many times like very uh involved in the startup world and and kind of literally that's how i pay my bills and Having worked for companies that have raised big rounds, the valuation compared to revenue and is just is and the money amount of money raised is mind boggling with also not a very clear understanding of where you think the value is, right? So traditionally right. you invest in a company, you're looking at the growth curve, you're making some historical data based bet that okay, it looks like where they are today, but here's where I think they'll be in three years and you're placing that bet. And that's usually based on like measures of like revenue and user growth well, and things and like an that. And an understanding of the the industry. Right? Yeah, an understanding of the industry. Now, when you look at esports, what is that triggering event that you think makes esports three to five years or cloud nine or what or an individual organization worth so much more money? Like do you have like are you seeing sponsorship dollars rapidly increase? Going up a little bit, sure. Rapidly increasing to the point where you would say, Oh, Cloud Nine's a unicorn. Like, that is crazy to me. And this calls out a ton of the math behind it and basically says, if you if you were to create just a random startup, like disappearing photo app, and say, Hey, I've got like ten thousand users. I'm worth a billion dollars and I'm projected to have eleven thousand users next year, I'd like to raise a hundred million dollars. Like people would just laugh their <laughs> fucking ass off. At right, you. right, right. And it's not like, oh, increase in tournaments are coming, so the prize money is going to go through the roof. Or we can look at that esports team, and that esports team is making billion dollars in sponsorship revenue, so we're willing to invest in the second most popular esports team. There's no 
pure analog to draw to to say that's where success is. It is purely a hype-based bet, one that will more than likely, talking about our predictions for the next two to three years, the bottom is going to drop out of this in a pretty fucking epic way in the next three to five years. It, more than likely, yeah. And so one of the things, it's all, all doom and gloom, this podcast, man. I know, I know, but this is the stuff that makes the show. Right, right, right. But one of the things that was noted uh, is that the average spend on things like merchandise from an esports standpoint for an esports viewer is rated right around like five dollars and like 12 cents per viewer essentially whereas or per fan i guess you could say but from a a traditional sports standpoint it's like 710 dollars. it's like way way different in yep. terms of like the actual and also different economies of scale when you right. really get to real numbers yeah and so i think when you you take that and and you look at what are what's the return of on investment that these sponsors are getting, and it's very minimal, right? You're you're throwing five hundred thousand dollars at a tournament or two hundred fifty thousand dollars towards a tournament, uh, and in terms of sponsorship, hoping that at, in this case uh, you will get what a thousand people to buy a two thousand dollar computer, just to, or, right, you know? right. So it's. It's just not there. And I think they, they cited heavily like Corsair's uh, – I think – I can't remember exactly what his role was. But he was basically the guy who was in charge of all like the marketing and promotions for Corsair and was just yep. like, the numbers I see across my desk are crazy and insane. Don't make a ton of a ton of sense. Uh, you know, Newsu comes out and says like 75% of all of Chinese people are going to be, you know, esports addicts. And like how – where are these numbers coming from? Like, they're just, they're just, just making them up. Right. And that's what was interesting about this article is they, they quoted – many anonymous insiders across many different companies, including companies like Blizzard and Riot and people allegedly involved directly in esports. And they're all saying all these numbers are bullshit. Yeah. Well, here's here's one of the funny things that this article does call out that there is not a really good study on, uh, largely because the numbers that we do see are often reported by people with an interest in those numbers being Good, right? This is like when WWE announces WrestleMania has broken an attendance record every single freaking year, but like they're in charge of counting the number of people that come in the door. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so, uh, for instance, uh, they were talking about uh, the the thing that is not really well understood because there hasn't been a ton of studies on it, uh, although Riot claims that they've done one, but I still look at the past when they, they are saying differently, is that – Someone who watches a game, watches an esport, pays more money or throws more money at the game because of the esports portion of it. Right, which has been a, you know the it is a marketing tool. Right. Well, and if if you look at it, Riot claims that yes, someone who's who's engaged in esports spends more money on the game. We we've pulled those numbers that makes sense to us. However, in the past, they've talked about how esports, they lose money on esports and they just consider it marketing. Right. So, which is it, right? Well, it can when technically did it be both. It's I, just I guess the cost. So. It's about CAC, right? It's the customer acquisition cost here is just too high in comparison, right? You can say, oh, I'm increasing the average spent per player of, in the esports fan base by 50%. So it goes from $5 to $10. But the ability to do that costs me 50 million bucks. Now, what is interesting about that is I wanted to make – let me describe esports to you in a different way. It is this interesting Ponzi scheme that has been created that allows Riot and Blizzard to get us and get sponsorships and get teams to pay for the marketing for their game. Right. 
which is really what it boils down to. Like, and I know that's a very like dark view, and you're like, I thought this was an esports podcast. You seem to hate it, <laughs> but it's just is exactly what is going on. Like, esports was created as a marketing scheme to sell more microtransactions in right. games. This is why the LCS exists. If I can get hundreds of millions of dollars in franchising fees and sponsorship rights and whatever to pay for that marketing, awesome. What has happened is those people stuck in the middle of that pyramid, which is the esports organizations, are now like, oh, we're a viable business because this thing exists. As soon as the economics stop making sense there, like people will pull the plug. And when I say people, I mean the developers. Like Riot is going to look at it and go, you know what? This marketing thing is costing us way too much money, and there's diminishing returns for those microtransactions. It's no longer worth the logistics, whether that is because costs go up, the money being made per customer goes down, or the more likely scenario is they're no longer making enough money to cover the gap because sponsorships are dropping out. They can no longer get $50 million in franchise fees. We've talked about this before. What happens when we get to the end of these franchise like payment plans, and then there's no more. You can't expand to 200 teams. Like you can't right, have right. a revenue model based on people expanding only. Right. No, 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 it's not. It's it, that it in itself is just like you go out and find two more people to buy into teams. And exactly. Like, it's exactly. Exa- yeah. And so it, it's, you can't have that. And when you, you look at, here's a storm H1Z1, like they, they one blizzard pulled it. Right. At least they left it in a state which wasn't like we owe teams $250,000 per team as in like H1Z1 did. But again, it's it's going to happen. Uh, There will be a time in which it's – even with League of Legends, it's going to hit a point where it's like, you know what? We've been doing this game now 15 years. It's – we can't make League of Legends 2 and still continue with the exact same thing. Like we have to do something different. It. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, it will happen. But the thing is, and not to be all doom and gloom, but the thing that we need to have, the industry needs to have, is legitimacy behind some of these things and and, and transparency into where the numbers come from or how it, how those things are generated. Even Nielsen's out there trying to do it and just like, we don't get this fuzzy math, like who, how people are doing it. And when you have the people who are responsible for keeping track of those numbers or publishing those numbers also being invested in how well those numbers are, are you're never going to have anything legitimate. So it has to be like a third party who handles it, but to do it, it's still fuzzy math because you can't get in like in Twitch and be like, cool. So really this is a 20,000 person tournament and 50,000 of these people are fake, but they also could be viewing it because it is on another page. And technically it is a real person on the page, but you've, tucked it all the way down in the footer so are they technically watching it at this point well it's the sponsors that's the worst nightmare right it's 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 it's, remember the web when all the all the the click bots and they used to be pay-per-click and how that is was largely responsible for the bubble bursting on the web it's It's, the same thing here it's again like i'm drawing analog to podcast and podcast advertising like it is one thing to say you have tons and tons of downloads it's another thing to really understand who is listening. And you can right. say, hey, I've got a million listeners, and I can provide you an analytics dashboard that says I have a million listeners, and you come in and you buy it. And this is why so much podcast advertising is uh, conversion-based, where, right. I mean, we do it on this show, right? We give you a code, and you go out there, and you get your ball wipes and your manscaper. Like, we get paid. 
But that's it. Like, there is no, you know, Manscaped's not going to come in because it's too risky. And they're not going to say, hey, here's $5 million because I believe those numbers on that dashboard that some random <laughs> right. company in, in California put together. And, uh, you know, we will sell lots of razors. It's going to be amazing. And eSports somehow got to skip that stage and has not learned that lesson. And right now you've got, you know, you got State Farm or Sour Patch Kids or whatever coming in and investing millions and millions of dollars. Now, some of it you could argue is just to be associated. It is a brand lift kind of situation, which it is definitely with things like Audi and things of that nature. Like right. they're not selling cars off esports necessarily. Um, but when you talk about like Corsair or Red Bull or uh, Alienware, these ones that are literally looking to convert, right? They want to see their ad pop up on the world championships and then they want to see a 5% increase in sales. Right. And so for them, that stuff matters a lot more because they don't need the adjacent brand recognition. They already have it. They're literally adjacent by being a PC manufacturer or a gaming uh, peripheral manufacturer. So it's a very, it feels very dangerous is what this article is really talking about. Like it feels like the bigger it gets, the the more this is going to hurt. And we talked about this you know, probably two years ago when the Overwatch League was launching about how th- if this failed, it could create this black hole that sucks in a lot of esports. The bigger this gets, the more a failure like that is going to go boom. And right. I still, for a prediction, think it will be the Overwatch League that is the domino that tips it over. Yeah. Well, we already saw how much of an impact... Uh, Blizzard releasing their esports people. We said, you know, they sucked in all of this talent and then they went and laid it all off. And we said, if it collapses, it's going to hurt esports as a whole because the people who were the talented people uh, all went to one place and then the lost other jobs. and they, they lost their jobs. And you had a lot of people who weren't 100%, you know, like they weren't the cream of the crop. We're running things like H1C1 League or whatever it may be yep. um, because they were just adjacent to it or they had some kind of hand in it but weren't accustomed to it because they hadn't been there for like the gross stages of esports. I'm, I'm saying this theoretically as H1Z1 just as an example. You just like to mention that. Right. Yeah. But you have those things collapse because they're not run very well and you have these things uh, fall apart because they don't have the right type of leadership or the quality of people there. Uh, and then you – Basically, have just flooded the market with a bunch of unemployed people who are really good at esports, but now esports is essentially or it's still it's on shaky ground, on. right? Yeah, yeah, it's moved on. It's moved on, and then you're in this position where I and there's no way to quantify this, but it feels like when all those people left the various companies, that the quality of esports outside of Overwatch League took a hit. Like it just it, there has to be you can't measure it, but there there has to be of some nominal hit. And now you pull those great people out; they can't go back to where they were in most cases because the esports ecosystem has had to replace them. And you end up with just like this talent void that is it, it's it's a weird weird scenario. So we're gonna be all doom and gloom. Maybe there's some positive things, but you want to you want to do this for this episode. So we've already made some predictions, but what else are you predicting that's gonna happen in the next we'll say three to five year window? What is guaranteed to happen in esports? Three to mind? five? I would say even probably nearer term that maybe like two or three. I think with Nans are going over to Epic Games, I think what we're going to see is Fortnite and or Rocket League actually go the franchise route. And now my other prediction, like that's kind of like maybe an easy one. But they will still continue to do an open cup version of it. So Fortnite would have a league, which is actual players, but still have this open league, like World Cup scenario where they've always been this. We want to have like anybody can be, you know, jump in and play. There's no teams necessarily. You don't get like invites. 
I don't think that's worked out as well as they wanted it to. I, I, I would argue to say it has not at all because they haven't been able to define what it is to be in that, in that system. And they've seen people kind of game that system like liquid or whatever, throwing, you know, 40 people at this, you know, tournament because they're guaranteed to at least walk away with half a million dollars in winnings based on where those people land. And so I see that they'll do that, but I also see that there will be a combination where you will have this open league face off against the pros. I think that if anybody would do it, it would probably be in, in the Fortnite's realm. Uh, Rocket League, I still think they are the most analog to traditional stick and ball st- sports. So going franchise for them makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it, they already do. Uh, you know their their league is already well established. They just now ended that league, right? It just now uh, it's just now wrapping up. Mm-hmm. So it would be an opportune time for Nanzer to come in, say, "Hey, we want to start this league, kick it off again, maybe this fall or the beginning of next year." Uh, it just it makes sense from a timing standpoint. It's also potentially the most consistent, where it plays the same from season to season, because they do not have the balance challenges that almost every other game has. Right, right. And my another another prediction. If we want to move on from that one, unless you have more to throw in there, Call of Duty World League will start off with better numbers than Overwatch League. Wow. Yep. I'm going to give you a longer-term opposite prediction. I predict that the creation of the Call of Duty World League will lead to the liquidation of all esports assets of Blizzard in the next five years. Really? Yes. I believe that they are going to have to invest a ton of money in further into their esports to make Call of Duty World League worth the extra money these teams are playing or these teams are paying. And as the franchise fees start to dry up on the Overwatch League side, they, it will become unsustainable and they will have to write it off. And I think it'll get sold off. I think some TV, whether it's NBC or ESPN or something, buys those out from underneath them and continues to run them. Interesting. That's a, that's an interesting play there. I, I could I could see that. I think Call of Duty World League's numbers will do well, but I think they will struggle from a an organizational standpoint, being that they change game and game types every year. And so, therefore, year over year, uh, the organizations will struggle to keep people, the same people, uh, the same roster. Like, They're not going to build those player every brands. Every year, every year, it'll be a roster apocalypse, basically. Makes sense. Uh, other thing i think you are going to see at least three of the major organizations implode in the next three years well yeah i, I could say that and i don't know whether it'll be that. financial scandal or otherwise but i think the immaturity of esports both business wise and the people uh, who uh, largely run it uh, is going to catch up to them and you're going to see mismanaged money we've already started to see it right we've had uh, the challenges with Optic. We've seen the unrest at Echo Fox with the investors. And you've got eventually organizations that have taken on a lot of outside investment. Uh, Immortals is an example of this that is largely run on venture capital, Cloud9, um, Liquid. These are organizations that someone's going to come calling and say, this thing needs to start creating revenue and they're going to get shut down and sold off. Yeah. I could, I could see. Sorry, that. I'm full of doom and gloom over here. No, no. I mean, I think there, I think there are good things within esports, right? Like Call of Duty World League. I think it'll do well. I think it'll launch well. Um, I don't think it will continue. Like, I think it'll have struggles, but I think it'll, I think it'll do well for them. I think it might be overpriced, but I think from a viewership number and an attention number, it'll do well. I also think something along the lines like the Gears of War, the next round of Gears of War, will actually do better. 
I think we'll, they'll see growth probably in like the 20 to 30% range. I, I, I think as uh, I would say within the next couple of years that Mixer uh, and Xbox get folded into the same thing. And it just becomes instead of Mixer being its own brand, it's just part of whatever Xbox service is because they're just leaning towards all digital now. Well, we, well, not even all digital, but with this, these new streaming game platforms like what Google is creating, like Mixer is the thing where you go and stream the game and play, like stream the game for others to watch, but also stream the game to play it. Right, right. So it wouldn't surprise me if just Mixer gets just rebranded as like basically xbox live xbox live gaming <laughs> exactly so i can see something like that uh i think uh caffeine will fold facebook will give up on gaming <laughs> uh and youtube gaming will not have any kind of exclusives and maybe try and realize that they are a place for housing of content uh but that's yeah i'm gonna yeah. go along the same lines in that uh the thing that overtakes twitch or i don't even call it kills twitch because it's not about killing twitch but i think the thing that overtakes twitch is something unrelated to gaming we talk about this a lot where it's like the fads that are happen to be popular and i think streaming gaming is popular i think that is a fad in that it will see a massive reduction in usage there will be other ways for these content creators and the next generation of kids that are coming up to make money or to make a brand or a life for themselves, or however you want to describe it, um, whether that's something like TikTok or something of that nature. But I think it gets overtaken. It's not somebody who makes an incrementally better platform. It's not somebody who even comes in and makes an amazing platform. It's not like, you know, I don't know what other big brand can get into it because all the big players have made a swing at it. But I think Twitch dwindles in interest to a certain generation. And that generation goes somewhere else, and that's ultimately what like kills Twitch is the is the major thing to do in gaming. All right, I'm gonna make another one. <laughs> All right, last one for me. Uh, Discord will buy Ventrilo. <laughs> oh, God, IPO. It'll mostly fail, <laughs> and then Epic will buy them <laughs> within five years. That's actually an interesting. You know, we, we I didn't actually think of a prediction for Discord, but more generally speaking, uh, outside of that ridiculous prediction. Is Discord around in the same way five years from now? Yeah, I think so. I think they're they're so full of themselves that they will attempt an IPO. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You there know is, it's true. I know. They they blindly think they're as big as Slack. Like it's I, I and there's nothing against Discord as a platform. I just don't understand the business model. Uh, it's all about we've got a huge number base, uh, therefore we are valued. Like you mentioned before, we have this giant value evaluation of whatever may be. Yep. So they they're going to do it, and then they'll they'll, they'll crash out because everybody's betting that man, you have these giant user numbers, which I don't disagree that they have. Like I don't doubt that. Right. Um, right. But having this would not be the first company to have a epic ton of people using the platform, and the platform have a complete inability to monetize them. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, I have one last prediction. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, this is a very short-term prediction. <laughs> I know what this one is. And this prediction is is that this will be the last episode of the E-League report that I am ever on. This is true. Maybe not that you're ever on. I don't know. My, my guest fee is going to be so high, you're going to have to sell a lot of ball wipes <laughs> if you're going to want to bring me onto the show. Just saying right now. So use that code sell, E-League. Sell, sell a lot or just send you a lot? <laughs> um, That's debatable. I'm not oh, sure. I'd have yeah. to do the conversion rate between dollars and ball wipes. It's it's your, your, your guest fee and subscription fee will have to be paid for. I got it. Got it. Yes, yes. So all joking aside, that time has come. It's been... 
God, over three years? It has been. Been over three years since uh, we were rally point back in the Bleacher Report days. I still remember that ridiculous call when I first got... So I got pulled into Bleacher Report, and they're like, hey, we hear you like podcasting, and we want to get into esports, and that's basically how I got this gig. And then I remember walking in the freaking 80-degree heat, the mile-and-a-half walk to the train, talking to you, being like, hey, somebody wants to pay us to talk about esports. <laughs> right? No, I think it's been an interesting journey. I think actually it is almost we might have recorded our first actual like pilot around this time. It feels about this time, yes. I think we technically launched it like the end of June. We've been through so many iterations, I've honestly lost yeah. track of this. But point. I mean, we we started research and setting up the show and making contacts like in January or something ridiculous. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, there was like a good 5 or 6 months of lead up into it. But yeah. Been a lot of cool places. True. The Bahamas. Yeah. Taipei yeah. on a less than a week's notice. Probably one of the craziest ones. Uh, l- I did London on like a day's notice or actually a ha- I got a half hour phone call. Like, can you be at the airport in a half hour? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I-, I got stuck in Vegas when I went to Heroes of the Storm when I was living in Switzerland. Then you also you get stuck a lot of places. I got stuck a lot of places. I got stuck in Atlanta. I got stuck in Vegas. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of sitting in airports thanks to esports. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, what am I supposed to say here? Is this where I say I'm going away to spend time with my family, which will make everybody think it's like a scandal? No, I don't. I don't think it's that. I think there's like there's no drama there. It's just you've I mean, got a ball wife. Life too much. <laughs> our, spo- our sponsors yeah, get right. off. <laughs> They're calling for your head. Calling for no. my head. Uh, <laughs> never mind. I, I think that. Uh, no, the joke I mean, makes itself. You don't need. Yeah, that. I know, right? Uh, no, I think it's it's one of those things where like you've got life things, and so I like how you're having to explain this for me. Well, because I mean, it seems like you can't figure out how to do it. <laughs> but, it's but, a sad but, day. Yeah, it is a sad day. It's a sad day. We've no, been doing so this a long real time. real life has finally caught up to me. You know, all that uh, startup stuff I've got going on, and when I say startup stuff, the company that I work for, um, kind of taking on more responsibility. This has already been a, a big challenge for me to juggle over the last like six to seven months since I moved back to Columbus. So uh, handing over the reins, we'll see kind of where it goes. You're still having some conversations with our friends at E-League about uh, kind of next steps. Where What does the show look like? Does the show come back? Right. Um, this is really just the end of our contracts is what it boils down to. Yeah, well, we, we made the joke that one day they'll figure out uh, that we've got the internet password and cut it off. <laughs> so We are, we are at uh, that day. I can no so, longer connect. <laughs> anyways, yeah, we we uh, how we come back or if we come back or how I come back, how, what this show comes back as, I don't know, still still in talks. Uh, definitely hasn't been like, no, we're not doing it. Um, I really I think, was looking forward to starting a Beard Oil podcast, to be quite oh, honest. Oh, man. As much Beard Oil as we bought in the last week. Might, we should have just started it, yeah. Beard Oil connoisseurs. There you go, man. <laughs> Uh, so for at least the final time for myself, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, we may be back with another episode of the E-League Report. <laughs>